The Pendant Shakespeare presents Hello and welcome to the third chapter of The Pendant Shakespeare's Henry VI Part 1. I am Jeff Robinson, the director of this production. Uh, pleased to be joined today by our dramaturge for Pendant Shakespeare, Morgan Z. Soul, out from uh, California. Morgan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure to be here, Jeff. And I am coming at you from uh, southern New Hampshire. It is a gorgeous night, and we are ready to dig in to uh, this third chapter of Henry VI, Part One. And uh, Morgan, this is a, a pivotal scene, really, in the whole whole play that so much uh, you know kind of stems from. Can you kind of set up what's happening here in this uh, this pivotal garden scene of Henry VI? All right. Well, what we're setting up here is we're taking a step away from the war with France exactly. and setting up. Uh, What's going to be the main conflict in Henry VI, Part Two, uh, the War of the Roses, as, as Plantagenet and Somerset and their little gangs uh, decide for the first time to pick a rose and say, this is my logo. This is what I'm going to fight for. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And uh, mixing this scene was particularly fun. I sort of played around with different approaches to it, but sort of started it off, as you heard there at the beginning, with the characters kind of coming in the scene from far away. So you, you know, hear them, it's all echoey kind of in the garden. And then as they get closer to you, uh, the listener, or sort of the camera, if you want to envision it that way, um, you know, their voices become clearer, and then you kind of hear everything come into focus. Um, so we've got here... Um, Carson Campbell as Plantagenet, uh, a.k.a. York. He's referred to York throughout the rest of the play. And then we've got uh, Russell Gold, a uh, veteran of many, many Pendant Productions, playing uh, the Duke of Somerset. So uh, terrific actors uh, in this scene all around. I pleaded truth from off this briar. Pluck a white rose with me. And so here uh, you heard uh, just there, Morgan, a, a suggestion I think you had made in the script, actually, for plucking the rose. You know, when you pluck a rose, it doesn't really make a sound, right? So I ended up uh, kind of taking this sort of guitar pluck sound that uh, I downloaded and uh, doing one pitch for those plucking a white rose and then a separate pitch for those plucking a red rose to kind of distinguish between those two, uh, two things. And I thought it worked out pretty well. It really did. It's a great choice in an, in an audio world. Yeah, definitely many cases where you have to get creative and say, uh, yeah, plucking a rose, that, that's not something that comes across an audio drama. Nobody's going to have any clue what you're doing there. So creative choice that, uh, that uh, was fun to really layer into the scene there. Shakespeare didn't have to worry about that. He had everybody watching. Exactly. exactly. Yep. Or, or the film version or, or what have you. So uh, it was cool to, to work that in there. And then uh, let's see, to give kudos to the rest of the cast here, we've got um, W. Keith Timms, another uh, pendant veteran playing the Duke of Suffolk. We've got uh, V.C. Morrison, who's been with Pendant for many, many years and years, playing uh, Vernon. Uh, we've got uh, Julia Eve as Warwick, a veteran of many pendant Shakespeare shows as well. And then uh, Chevelli Gutierrez as a uh, uh, lawyer slash Bassett. Are they the same character? I'm not 100% sure. I think they are, right? No. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> well, she's uh, she's in the ensemble of this production, so she pops up many, many times, hence my confusion. <laughs> Although I imagine on stage you'd be just as confused if they were the same person, but it's okay. Exactly, yeah. When we were casting this show, it was a lot of, uh, you know, how can we uh, use the actors to the uh, fullest 
of their ability is in lots of doubling going on, which has always always been with Shakespeare, really. I mean, you don't you know you don't have a troupe large enough to have one one uh, actor per character, really. Somerset, hath not thy rose a thorn, Plantagenet? I sharp and piercing. But yeah, Carson Campbell, I last worked with on Pericles, Prince of Tyre. He was one of our ensemble members, and uh, remember him in many, many different parts throughout that production. And uh, when I heard his audition for Plantagenet, I said, this is the guy. He's got uh, exactly the right right tone of the character, and, and really, really happy with how he, how he read here. They're so, they're so mean to each other in this scene. I love I love Shakespearean insults. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they they really are just uh, going at it right here, and uh, you can see Suffolk is firmly on the side of um, of Somerset, while uh, Warwick is on the side of Plantagenet, I believe, if I'm keeping track of them in my head all well here. And uh, everybody is is digging in, and uh, yeah, just a fun scene to edit, and uh, lots of music I decided to layer onto this scene. You know, some some scenes are more heavy on the sound effects, and some, you know, when there's not as many sound effects to work with, I really try to layer in as much music as possible to sort of fill those moments and really set the tone, set the emotions, set the mood for for a particular scene. Well, it's a good way to give information to the listener because we've you know we've lost our visual sense, so we need more to set the mood. It's true, it's true. Yeah, and these, and, uh, and these actors can always uh, these insults they can just get a little ma nastier, a little snarkier with their voices to uh, sell that we're supposed to understand the tension going on between these groups. <laughs> exactly. And there have been many cases uh, with this production and others where I'll edit a scene um, and and just say, oh, you know, the scene isn't really popping for me. I just I just don't know that I'm getting it right here. But then I go in and add the music, you know, really as the last step most of the time. And it all comes together. It just makes it, you know, it rounds it out. It provides that character that you need um, and just kind of fills a void. And uh, all the music in this production is by Josh Mullen. Uh, you can hear his work at thetunepeddler.com. Uh, just terrific, uh, you know, set of hundreds of tracks that we use across many pen and productions uh, that uh, really have been a stellar addition to our repertoire. He is a resource to uh, all art all across the internet. A hundred percent. Yep. Yep. Until it wither with me to my grave or flourish. Yeah, and I, I really love, again, Carson Campbell here just turning up the drama 100%. Like, his voice just dripping with that contempt uh, that you hear that he has for for the Duke of, of Somerset. You know, do we really... I, I don't know that they set it up in this play, or is it a different part of the, the Henriad, um, Morgan, I'm curious, where they really kind of set up what, you know, why these two guys are so pissed off at each other? I mean, does that come from Richard II or a different play in the canon? Uh, okay, well, <clears throat> what happened to his father was set up in Henry V. But some of these are, some of these guys are stepping out whole cloth to be the new, the new antagonists. Okay, makes sense. Against... Perhaps a, a full Henriad scholar would be able to catch on more references than I can. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Some days I'm just glad to make sure to remember that Somerset and York are the same person. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or rather, Plantagenet and York, right? See, see, yes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yes, I, I must admit I am woefully. Um, 
behind on, on the Shakespearean canon. And uh, I've seen Henry the Fourth, Part One. I've seen Richard the Second. I've certainly seen Richard the Third. Um, but uh, Henry the Fifth, I don't believe I've caught yet. So I have much, much catching up to do to really uh, kind of understand the rich history of all these characters that we're dealing with here. Well, there's a couple good movies of Henry the Fifth. One, one Olivier, one, one Kenneth Branagh. Uh, ah, true. There is not a film version of Henry VI. There's, a, there's thankfully always thankful to the BBC for their complete Shakespeare television uh, exactly. from the seventies. Very true. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was a, there was a film in the past couple years. I want to say that sort of combined several of the Henrys. Maybe um, not you ring a bell. The Hollow Crown. Ah, that's right. That's it was right. a television yeah. series at Fort that kind of covered all of them, uh, and it had it had Loki from the Marvel films and um, Ooh, all the nice. all the stellar British uh, television and film actors of the current era. I will I will confess I definitely watched a good chunk of that for this to prepare myself. Hey, it does the job for sure. And now we transition to the prison where Vernon, I believe, who is Plantagenet's uncle, uh, is is imprisoned for his coup attempt, if I'm recalling correctly. Is that right? Uh, Mortimer. Um, he's, uh, Mortimer. He's in prison right. because yeah, his his coup attempt to Henry Ford. That's two Henrys ago. Um, <laughs> he's going to instigate the the battle, talking to Plantagenet. That's right. That's right. And uh, here you will hear uh, E. Rachel Ward, who you can also hear as Bedford uh, throughout this production. Um, you know, really, uh, you know, bringing the frailty and the age and the sickness of this character uh, to life here. Really loved her performance, as as I have for uh, many pennant productions now. And she does need to nail it because she walks onto set and talks for a long time and dies. And she has to create a whole character rising and falling in that one speech. Yeah, it's 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 so true. Yep. Yeah, I love it uh, when you get to a, the end of a speech in, in Shakespeare and there's just at the end parentheses dies. <laughs> Not easy to pull off as an actor and uh, as a sound designer, you know, you've got to got to figure out what to do, too. It's like, does their body slump over? You know, do they let out some kind of growl as they die? Like, what does it sound like when someone just keels over like that <laughs> well, we have quite a few more deaths so i'll try to be i'll try to be more helpful with the sound cues moving forward right exactly <laughs> spoilers there's a lot more deaths oh yes no no spoiler uh, reference needed there that is uh, unquestionably true also want to say uh walter mack here as the jailer in this scene the great uh, utility player in this production who's been in every single episode thus far uh, in various roles both english and french so Kudos to him and kudos to everybody in our ensemble because uh, you need that in any Shakespearean production. You need those folks who've got the versatility to uh, fill in the gaps where where they are needed and, and play those those pivotal parts in each scene. They are the nails that hold the show together. Exactly. Yep. Among which terms he used his lavish tongue and did upbraid me with my. I I think Shakespeare probably intended the messengers in this play to be perhaps different people, but we have always uh, had our same messenger just to make. I think it adds something. I think some audience members are going to be listening to that and instantly recognize, oh, a message is coming. I think it's a good choice for audio for sure. Yeah, I think uh, there are just many. Many considerations you have to make when translating something from the stage or from film to audio and uh, making it as easy as possible for the listener to grasp what's going on when you 
you know, obviously can't see anybody coming on the stage. You know, and, and on that note, I will say, uh, with the messengers and which all the characters entering and exiting, uh, getting footsteps right in audio is a surprisingly hard task that I find myself kind of tediously going through so many files of, of people like, are they running on concrete? Are they running on wood? Are they running on grass? What kind of shoes are they wearing? That's, Here we are in a nice small jail cell. How does, how does that affect it? Exactly, yeah, and it, it's so hard to get right, and you don't want to just recycle the same footsteps over and over, because that's going to be all too apparent to the listener. Hey, you're just reusing the same sound effect, and in real life, you know, people walk differently, they have different gates, they uh, are obviously walking on different surfaces, sometimes you've got a group of people walking in, sometimes just a lone person, so many factors to take into consideration that uh, you know wouldn't necessarily think would take all that much time but in practice it, it can be quite time consuming have you ever thought of the old-timey uh old-time radio foley artists who were doing it live with with shoes on a piece of wood right i mean I, i'm not kidding there have been days that i've been tempted to say you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna take my phone and record myself walking around the house for the next three hours <laughs> just so i have something to work with uh, but uh, but no, I mean, we have access to some great sound effects libraries, but uh, always a challenge to just sort through and find out the exact one. And and obviously, what kind of mood the person is in is a factor, too. Sometimes you need somebody stomping off, obviously, in a rage. So yet another factor that goes into picking out just the right sound effect. When I, when I moved into my home, I put on my heaviest hiking boots and recorded myself walking around the kitchen because it was echoey. Ah. I could use this. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. I should, I should take some time to do that sometime. You know, sometimes uh, when you can't find the exact right sound effect, really the best thing to do if you can is just make your own. Not a bad idea. Again, um, you know, E. Rachel Ward's performance in this scene, uh, just a lot of respect for the energy that it takes to, to bring uh, this this level of, um, of rigor. To this character that we just met, that you exactly. have to be, I'm, I'm, full, I'm completely invested in Mortimer before, before they die. Exactly. Uh, it's totally true. And, you know, when actors send us their lines, obviously we want multiple takes, multiple reads, uh, just in case there are any technical problems, but also just different interpretations of the line as well. And uh, with all these lengthy monologues, it really is quite a time commitment um, participating in this show. And uh, so many, so many characters throughout this production, again, just have these monologues that go on two or three minutes. And so you say three or four takes of a two minute monologue, it's going to take quite a bit of time. So we really appreciate all the effort the cast uh, puts into um, uh, this production and, and uh, don't take it for granted for sure. It's, uh, you know, and beyond that, really reading the script and understanding what it is you're saying. And, uh, you can't just read your lines. You've got to read the lines of the folks you're interacting with as well to truly understand the scene and make sure you're, you're um, interpreting the line correctly because that can definitely be tri tricky with Shakespeare too. Oh, and this, this type of uh, rec uh, remote recording with the cast, not you know, never mm -hmm. uh, being together, they, yep. uh, the smaller lines, I imagine, would also be a great deal of challenge because they have to be going back and forth with someone they're never going to hear. Yes. Yes, it's true. And and I think that's one of the most magical things about Pendant Productions and, and every show that we produce is how it really all comes together and makes it sound like um, everybody's in the same 
studio or the same room when recording. And I really view that as my job as the director, um, you know, because people are recording in different rooms. You know, some people have more reverb in the space they're recording. Some people are recording in, you know, full-fledged voiceover studios that cost thousands of dollars. And uh, as a director, it's really my job to put everybody in the same environment, whether it's adding reverb, whether it's adding various effects. Uh, it can be tricky um, doing that when folks are recording in so many different types of locations, but it's a fun challenge, you know. Usually what I'll do is I'll throw some reverb into a scene, which kind of equalizes the space and makes everybody, you know, sort of feel like they're they're in the same room, because uh, you don't want one person with reverb and one person with a totally dead room that just, you know, as a listener, you'll pick up on that right away and and say, hey, these these people are obviously not in the same place, and it, it makes it that much harder to believe, which you don't want, obviously. Or make mine ill the advantage of my good. Oh, Plantagenet. <laughs> I sense bad things about you. Oh, yes. And now we transition back to uh, the royal court with King Henry, played by Emmeline Tuck, a veteran of many, many pendant shows, Majin Machine, uh, Pericles, just a, a stellar uh, talent, and we're lucky to have her uh, on on uh, our roster here. Also, Sarah Palmero as Winchester, feuding with Pete Lutz as Gloucester, two more pendant uh, veterans we're lucky to have in this production. And uh, yeah, this feud between Gloucester and Winchester, uh, Morgan, I have to say, is just might be my favorite part of the show. There's just the utter attempt. This is a fun scene. Yes. Yeah, the uh, and episode one, too, just the utter contempt these two characters have. And, uh, you know, similar to the feud between um, Plantagenet and uh, Somerset, um, you know, I, I'm curious for the backstory. Like, why, why again? Like, why do these people hate each other so much? Is that something just from actual historical record? Is it something from previous um, shows? What's more uh, uh, now, it would be historical record because Gloucester would have been the Lord Protector. He was in charge of keeping England uh, running with while the king came of age. Oh, right. But, uh, but the cardinal um, is also contending for power. Uh, so we have these the two pillars of power who are both to the right and the left of the king. Right. How am I so, so yeah, that would be actually be a historical feud. Shakespeare didn't have to come up with this one. These these two uh, these two men had some serious conflicts. Yeah, yeah, definitely some some serious beef. And uh, yeah, uh, Pete Lutz as as Gloucester and and Sarah Palmero again as as Winchester. Just uh, both clearly uh, well experienced in Shakespeare and just brought the the right tone. Uh, the perfect tone to to this part, um, and uh, Sarah Palmero, I believe, uh, also in Double Falsehood, we had her playing um, Don Bernard, I believe was her character's name, and she uh, she really, um, you know, masculine character. She just does excep exceptionally well, and um, just really. Um, knocks it out of the park and brings the exact touch of evil and you know you really get the sense that uh, this Winchester guy is not up to any good yes and and Gloucester of course spelled with far too many letters um, <laughs> yep. did we have do we have any errors with with Gloucester being a Gloucester in any of our lines we did not thankfully yes uh, you hit upon a good point uh, you did you did a great job in this one putting uh, how to pronounce all these various names which which Shakespeare and audio drama is whew, 
it uh, it, it never ends. The, the challenges of, of the names, locations, characters, etc. That that you got to know how to pronounce, or else it just messes everything up. Yes, when his holy state is touched so near. State holy or unhallowed, what of that? Is not his grace protected? And this is one of those scenes where you know you got to transition between uh, you know people talking to each other and then folks like. Um, Plantagenet Plantagenet here, just, here. Exactly, doing the asides, and and Shakespeare is full of these asides. But uh, you know, it took me a while to figure it out. But uh, I I sort of realized, hey, you know, you add some reverb in the scene when people are talking to each other, then you take away the reverb when they're just talking to themselves to make it more apparent to the listener. Hey, this is a line you're hearing, but nobody else is hearing on the stage, essentially. Yeah, Shakespeare loves his asides, doesn't he? Kind of lots of brick in the fourth wall, huh? I'm just going to go over here and talk to myself. I do love her whining as as King Henry, her. Yes. Because um, <laughs> he's not a strong king at the moment. Exactly, yeah. He's supposed to be like, what, 10, 12 years old, maybe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this, this is probably, this scene coming up here is what consumed 90% of my editing time on this episode. You got the... The riot? Uh, yeah, exactly. Gloucester's people, right, coming in, basically mm-hmm. chanting stones, stones, and, you know, sort of hear their voices creepily reverberating from outside the uh, outside the room, indicating, hey, you know, trouble is on the way. I don't think Shakespeare was thinking about 21st, Ameri- 21st century American politics, but uh, King Henry saying, I will outlaw stones, and the rioters saying, well, if you outlaw stones, I will fall on you with my teeth. Um, I can't shake, I, I, I've heard that argument before. Oh, yes. Yes, we have, sadly, for sure. <laughs> Loretta Chang, you just heard as the mayor of London. Um, first time I've worked with her on a pen and production. Not sure if she's done any other ones, but uh, great, great to have her talent here. Oh, she's fun. The, the mayor pops in once or twice trying to deal with all this nuttiness. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Same as the first episode. Exactly. Comes in and says, get the hell out of here, you people. Stop writing. I'm just a civil servant trying to stop all of you uh, crazy nobles and knights from killing each other. Yep. <laughs> Cindy Woods here in the ensemble. Uh, another voice you'll hear, I think, in every episode uh, thus far, anyway, that I've I've worked on. And uh, yeah, I've heard her in seminar and uh, some of our previous Shakespeare's and uh, another another one. We're glad to have back time and time again. You can hear some entertaining uh, interjections here from uh, from the ensemble. You know, I think I just heard uh, somebody say, "Get away!" You know, you catch, you listen closely, you can catch up those those fun lines in the background. Making a rabble in the background must be difficult to make it clearly a rabble and yet not distract from the uh, speeches being given. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and you've got to layer so many voices on top of each other for it to work, too. Um, yeah, you can't just have one or two because then it just, you know, doesn't sound believable at all. So need as many as possible layered on top of each other again and again. Rabble, rabble. <laughs> I did a lot with the panning in this scene. Um, you know, I think you just heard a broken window probably in your left ear, and hear the protesters come in in your right ear. I like to play with the space when I can and just add that fun element of, uh, of stereo panning there. I have heard you preach that malice was a great and grievous sin. And will not you maintain the thing you teach, but prove a chief offender in the same? What? 
Shall a child instruct you what to do? So these are Gloucester's people who are rioting here? Is that right? Yes. And I, if they ever make a movie of this, the rioters throwing rocks and then being denied their rocks would probably be hilarious. <laughs> I can imagine. See here. My friends and loving because Shakespeare has to have it all happen off stage, but the, the rock riot happening just just around the corner would be a great visual. Yeah, you know, as I've been editing these scenes, I've been thinking to myself, like, what would this production actually look like on stage? Um, because uh, I'm surprised at how many scenes there are that are kind of surprisingly short um, in this production, where you just have a, a couple come folks come on, say a couple lines, and then quickly exit and transition to the next thing and it would be very interesting to see this on stage and see how uh, a stage director would handle all the battles and all these quick scenes and and everything yeah just running from one side of the stage to the other with swords pretty much <laughs> yeah and they don't have the luxury of uh, you know including all these cool sound effects and people shouting and swords clanging and stuff in the background you know uh, audio you can really just make it sound like there's hundreds of people in any given battle but you don't have that luxury on the stage obviously so it's kind of nice the creative freedom it gives you working in audio it is hard to try to create a battle on stage. Uh, I've seen plays. I've never, I've never directed these, but it's the challenge of creating a battle on stage. Um, it doesn't seem comical with only you know four or five people. Is a difficult thing. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I've been in a couple plays where there is sword fighting, and it's something I never was terribly good at. Like, uh, you know, to do it realistically and and uh, and really pull it off, and like you said, not make the audience laugh. It's hard to do. So. Yeah, tackling this on stage would be a gargantuan effort. When you only have two guys in either army's uniform to create <laughs> exactly. the battle. Exactly. <laughs> and now the name changes to York. There we go. Thank yep. you, British history, for being so confusing. <laughs> Everybody gets a new Imagine if American history, every time you got elected to office, you got a new name. Exactly. <laughs> And there is the English, uh, you know, battle theme uh, that we use throughout the production. Um, and I think that was your suggestion, Morgan, uh, having like one overarching theme for the French and one for the English. Uh, worked out really well and kind of centers the listener. Okay, we're about to hear an England scene. We're about to hear a France scene. Um, and uh, it's a nice auditory cue, I think, for the listener. Hopefully anything that can help the audience know where they are. You know, exactly. And I, think it work, I think it's working just great. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want the audience to have to follow along with the script as they're as they're listening. That would take the joy out of it. Seeing what is likely to ensue, this late dissension grown betwixt the peers burns under fainted ashes of And we've got Exeter here, Edward Herman as Exeter, who frequently seems to be the last guy on stage in any given scene, sort of like like commenting on things to himself before going off, helping you understand like what is it I just witnessed. Which I appreciate. Thank you, Shakespeare, for putting him in there to keep us on track. There's a lot of moving parts in this story. Yep, yep, for sure. <laughs> Captain America's Civil War has nothing on Henry the Sixth. <laughs> Agreed. Now, do they take breaks in Shakespeare time between acts? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, yeah. And if so, how many? In a play as long as this, man, I'd hope for at least two intermissions, probably. <laughs> and there we go. 
Yep, and that concludes episode three. We've got uh, Adam Blanford reading the credits here. You'll hear him in our next episode, uh, returning once again as uh, Lord Talbot. And, uh, ooh, man, does he have a, a big, big part to tackle in uh, oh. this production. Talbot is the, uh, it's a strange show to say who is the main character, but Talbot sure has a lot of lines. Agreed, yeah. In terms of volume of lines, uh, yeah, gotta, gotta be him. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for joining us. We will see you again next month as we release Chapter 4. I'm Jeff Robinson, joined by Morgan Z. Soul, and we will see you folks again soon. Take care. Godspeed.